morning. Let's pray. Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Guys, we are on world record Pope Evangelical free time right now. We are flying. And if you saw, officially it's only 13 through 16, so we only got four verses. We got a shot here. I, uh, sometimes the guys I've coached with, not just here at Alta Aurelia, but in Johnston and elsewhere, they always get frustrated with me because I'm very much data-driven. So they might say something like, I really feel like we're hitting curveballs better. And I'll go, do we have any data that says that? Or is that just like you saw one guy who did it, and so now you think everybody's doing it, right? And they get super frustrated with me. So the way my brain works sometimes is I go, how cool would it be to get to the new heavens and new earth, and there's like this special room that God has made, and you could look up any piece of data information you wanted. Like what was the world record, hope evangelical free time for shortest and longest sermon? That would be awesome, right? So I had Sophia read the whole section. Um, you know, last week we talked about divorce, and I was, I was glad to address that. I think it was something that as, as I was praying through, um, I just felt like the Spirit wanted me to speak in, in a little bit different way than I normally do from the text. Uh, if you've ever heard me preach, you know, phrases like, uh, context is king is one of my favorites, uh, because... The place where a text sits in the surrounding area around it is very crucial. Uh, I would say it's probably the number one reason why we read a passage and then misapply it, is we don't look at what's around the passage. In the Revised Common Lectionary, that is the group of readings the Episcopal Church uses. So uh, the Episcopal Church, they don't do like we were doing a, a sermon series through the book of Mark. They have a three-year cycle that they go through, and they have four readings per day, similar to the way we do it. We use a different lectionary, but we still preach through books of the Bible. But the priest, what they'll do is they'll pick one of those four passages. And so every three years, it gets through almost the whole Bible, and you're able to, uh, as the priest, pick one of those four. And so every three years, you're kind of working through it. Uh, Funny enough, this week in the Episcopal Church, they are preaching on the exact text that uh, Sophia just read. So ironically enough, we were working right in the same area that they are currently working as they work through Mark. We're working through the same place. It's it's kind of a... Mark has a a reason that he's putting these together, that they're so close, uh, as does the Revised Common Lectionary. Why do they put these together? The chapters that you have, like when it says Mark 10, those actually didn't come around until the 1200s. So like the entire New Testament was in existence basically for about a thousand years and they never had chapters. The verses didn't come until uh, about 300 years after that. And then some of the headings like mine at the beginning of chapter 10, it says divorce. And then when we get down to chapter 13, it says the little children in Jesus. Those came even after that and they differ from translation to translation. When the Bible was originally written, it was, it was just written in kind of one long thing. And so you kind of seamlessly transition from one place to the other because the author had a specific point that they were trying to address. You actually noticed 
when Sophia was, was reading, there was kind of an odd transition there, wasn't it? If you divorce somebody and you get remarried, it's adultery. And people brought the little children to Jesus. Even her, she, 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 she got to the end and she's like, verse 13, like you could see that it was like, that's really odd. Why does he put those together? But in the original text, there'd be no verses, there'd be no titles, it would just flow. And so the question is, why is Mark putting these two passages together and what does that communicate to us? So I'm actually glad that I got a chance to preach again this week um, because last week I really do think it was important to speak towards divorce. However, uh, I listened to a, a priest preach over this whole passage and his, his title of his sermon was, This Sermon is Not About Divorce. Uh, because he was trying to identify that Mark's not actually talking about divorce. There's something else he's trying to bring out in this text because these two are together. Remember from last week, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus in the beginning of chapter 10. Is it always a woman's fault? Under what circumstances should I give a certificate of divorce? Jesus' answer, though, is to say that all men and women are on equal footing before the law, that there isn't this ranking of order. Marriage is sacred, and therefore all are condemned. And so he, what he's doing is he's laying down the law to its highest pitch possible. So then he has the turn to the little children. And why does he turn there? You see, in our culture, our context today, we view children as innocent, as kind of a blank slate. Uh, maybe an investment, something we find our identity in. Have you ever uh, seen uh, one of those bumper stickers that's like, my child is a National Honor Society student, right? Or, or, my, children go, or my child goes to this university, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's exciting, right? And you want to take pride in that. I don't want to take away from that. But it is a little bit of like, see, look at my kid. Like, look how great they are. And what does that speak about me, right? And it can go the other way as well. It can certainly go the other way. Um, there's this show, uh, I forget what Maybe ABC, I watched a little bit of it last fall. It was called Big Sky. And in it, this villain, his, his mother is, is just very destructive towards him. And it's a lot about how his villainy um, uh, was produced in his life. And so his mom will go to the other moms of his high school classmates. And his mom will actually explicitly tell this son. And this son's like, he looks like he's 30s, 40s, still living with mom. And, and he'll say, or, or she'll say to him, you know, I have to go talk to all these other moms and hear about Johnny's on Wall Street doing great things, or, or this, or Billy's over here doing these wonderful things, right? But then I have to tell him that my son's just a truck driver. And you can see it's the negative side of it, right? That she's so wrapped her identity up in her son that it's not a positive thing for her, it's a negative. My son, in my view, is not doing something that I think is worthwhile, and therefore I'm lower. That's not what's going on in the text today. That's not how they treated children. It was much different than that. I want to be careful here because I think sometimes we can think that children weren't valued at all. I, I think that's too far. Like they're children, right? Like we've always loved our children for pretty much all of time, but it definitely was different and they did think lower of them. Otherwise, why would the disciples say something like, you know, trying to get them away from Jesus, trying to see them as sort of a nuisance, as a hindrance to Jesus's ministry. So they're different, definitely viewed differently in this time in a negative way. And so why turn then to the little children in this text? It's, it's not let them come to me because these children are innocent or because I can find my identity in them if I just help them accomplish something. It's let the children come to me because they are in need. 
The Greek actually seems to indicate extremely young children. The oldest, probably, maybe Elise's age, like five, but more than likely, like Luther. Like, these are really, really young children. The, the, the Greek would indicate potentially babies. And so that's who's being brought, children who are in need, who can't do anything for themselves. So what's Mark doing? He's, he's setting up a contrast between coming to Jesus as a savvy and cynical adult versus coming to Jesus as a little child, dependent, needy. Notice that in the first section with divorce, there's actually no really note of emotions that Jesus has towards the adults. He's pretty just matter of fact, this is what's going on. However, when speaking about the little children, he says that he is, it says that he's indignant when they keep the children from him. That should make us go, wow, he's really mad. We should pay attention to why that is. The disciples seem to have this instinctive reaction that Jesus has better things to do, which is, which is odd because actually in, in uh, Mark 9, uh, if you remember when James preached that as well, the first chunk of his verses he preached on, verse 42, it said, if anyone causes one of these little ones, same word, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Like they just heard this. They just heard this. And yet keep those children away from Jesus. So Mark's point is to contrast the sort of independent, savvy adult to the dependent and needy child. That's why he puts these two together. Listen to what Aaron Zimmerman says about this passage. The adult wants to check credentials. The child is brought for a blessing. The adult cares about performance. The child plays. The adult questions, but the child trusts. The adult judges, but the child minds her own business. The adult acts, whereas the child rests. The adult wants to argue about words and ideas. The child seeks only a loving embrace. The adult wants to know what I can get away with. The child knows whether he is good or bad, he's already loved. So there are two different ways of coming to God, and that's why these passage, passages are smushed together. And that is the question we can ask ourselves today. You know, do we tend to come to God as kind of this independent person or as a person who's needy, independent, and still needs God? So I'm going to go all Baptist on you and have three good points for how you can be like a child. Point number one, you need to be needy. Uh, as a stay-at-home dad, I, I'm in this uh, stay-at-home dads married to physician moms Facebook group, oddly specific. And in it, one time, this guy, he, he posted this picture. It had one of those clickers, you know, that keeps track of how many times something happens. And he, he had a picture of it and he said, I kept track of how many questions my son asked me today. It was something stupid, like 650, you know? Like, children are incessantly needy. And notice, children are incessantly needy, not because they sort of, like, choose to be needy, right? It's not like they have the capacity to do something, and they go, well, I'm just not going to do that. I'm just going to act needy. I'm going to turn on my neediness. They're just needy. It's just who they are, especially if we're talking about really, 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 really young children in this passage, right? In the same way, that is what we ought to be as Christians. 
And yet, I've seen that the flavor of Christianity is often one that it feels like you want to grow stronger and better and more independent and not needing, like, as your faith grows, you won't sin as much. You won't need God as much, right? You can live this honorable life. And I understand the desire for it. I truly, truly do. But it does fly in the face of Paul, who at the end of his life is saying that he is the chief of sinners, Right? At the end of his life, he's saying that, not at the beginning of his life. It's interesting. The more he lives life, the more he understands and sees that deep down, he really, like, even, even the things that he feels and thinks, he needs to be forgiven for. Listen to Tully and Shavijan and what he says about this. Christian growth does not involve becoming stronger and stronger, more and more competent every day. It involves becoming more and more aware of how weak and incompetent we are and how strong and competent Jesus was and continues to be for us. So the first thing, to be like a child, is to be needy. The second thing is to be forgetful. Uh, Elise has been having a little bit of trouble at school. She's beginning in trouble. And it's, it's happened multiple different times. A couple weeks ago, it had happened maybe like the third or fourth time. And so it's something that we're, we're trying to figure out. Why is this happening at school? Uh, what's going on? How can we help you? And so the teacher talks to me after school when I pick her up. And it's like a six-minute walk home. So we talk about it the whole way there. And, and you can see she's, you know, quiet about it and beaten up because it's a multiple times it's happened. We got to home. We, we talked about it for 5, 10, 15 minutes, just like kind of getting through, trying to figure things out. So like we're like a full 15 to 20 minutes into talking about her getting in trouble again for the, you know, fourth time or so in the last couple weeks. 20 minutes later, babysitter walks in and goes, hey, Elise, how was school? It was fantastic. Oh, I learned a new Spanish word and we got to play at this center and then we did this. I was like, what is going on? Because like 15 minutes ago, I thought the world was ending because we just couldn't figure out how to get you to act right. Um, but she's forgetful, right? There's this sense that, that children are incredibly needy and yet... Even in their need, it's not something they sit in or reside in. They're very forgetful. They're able to really move on from the difficult parts of life and not let it affect them differently than us. And that is indeed where we too should take that lesson from children. How, how do we become forgetful? How do we have this loving embrace of the Father that we see in the text? These children just come to Jesus in their need, and yet not be dominated by our need, not to be dominated by our sin or our shame, but to become forgetful because what's more important is the loving embrace of our Father instead of our sin. The third way to be like a child is to be playful. Have you ever noticed that a child doesn't wake up in the morning, boy, I got a busy day today. Got a lot of, a lot of pictures to color. Man, I am really behind on my puzzles. Got to climb that dang wall. I can't quite figure out how to paint that picture. It's going to be a hard day. Like a child's life is just sort of continually moving from one exciting activity to another in, in enjoyment. All they do is play all day. There is this sense in which children give us this picture of what it looks like to enjoy exactly what's in front of us to consume it in a good way, right? Not to be consumed by it, but to consume it and enjoy it and to be able to move on. The order I would say that I listed those is of importance. 
I think that if you're going to come to God as kind of an independent adult, I don't know that you'll ever be able to become forgetful or playful. I think that step number one is, is to be able to come to God as a needy child. And like I said, a, a child doesn't choose that thing. You don't walk out of church today going, I'm going to be more needy, right? It's something that the spirit really does have to do in you. It has to sort of break you down. And like when, when my kids are the most exhausted, you know, like they're growing up. So they really want to like, I want to do that myself, right? All right, good luck, you know? And eventually they just get so exhausted that they can't figure it out, that they ask for help. And in a lot of ways, that is what it looks like God does with us. You know, like, I think that's going to give you life. You can have it. Go ahead. I'll be here when you're exhausted and when you realize how needy you are. And so a lot of our life is really to, to pray that God would open up our eyes, open up our hearts to see the places where we are needy. You know, where do we need help? I think in a smaller church like this, sometimes... Uh, Sometimes it can be difficult because there are needs in our church that we are trying to meet. And to be quite frank, we don't have enough people to do all of them. And so a lot of times we're trying to decide what should take priority and what shouldn't. You know, like with three young children, there are so many things that I want to do more in this church. But I have three children who are like, I don't know that they can do something without me watching them and accomplish it. You know, like it doesn't mean they can't do it. It's just for whatever reason, if I'm not there present, they're just not going to get dressed. No matter what, right? I don't even have to. Uh, I don't even have to tell them what to do. I just need to be present while they do it. And so I think you know when we think about children's church and how uh, how we want to make this space more conducive for them, right? That is going to take helpers, so to speak. But it's also going to take people being honest. That if they're serving back there, it's going to take you know people being honest, like. This is really hard, and I'm doing it every week, right? Like, there's this sense that we even need to each other be able to go, this is hard, you know? And, and I feel like the, the biggest fights Liz and I have in our marriage are often those things. When we're just trying to figure out how to tell each other, not that you need to fix yourself, but just, it's been really hard lately. And just being able to get that out and for them to receive that. And to not push back on it, and not even to change, honestly, but just for them to receive and go, I've noticed you've been a little stressed out lately because of your job, or been a little stressed out lately because of the kids. That's always very, very important. And so that's that first step, coming needy and asking that the Spirit would do that for us. Um, when Elise is here, she often will ask during music if she can go dance in the aisle. And go, yeah, make it happen. Let's go. And uh, she's always very shy to do it, right? And I think that that's kind of the mood move for children. She doesn't see other people doing it, right? And so she's like, am I allowed to be playful here? Is this okay? And I'm like, yes, do it. Do it, right? And yet, I, I totally get it, right? Because I was the same kid. If other people weren't doing it around me, um, I'm very introverted. I, I need other people to do things first. I am not the first one to go out on the dance floor. In fact, I might not ever go out on the dance floor. And so as we come to God in this neediness, and he begins to remind us of his loving embrace, and then it allows us to become playful, there is this sense that it is a communal activity that we need to do together, right? 
We need to be needy together and be able to be honest with one another. We need to be forgetful together. We need to be able to remind each other the better news of the gospel. And we need to, when the spirit has so moved in us to dance in the aisle, to do it so that others are comfortable as well, being playful, to be free in their faith. But ultimately, this is something that the spirit would do. And so I pray that the spirit would help all of us realize that when we come to the father, we are not independent adults, but one who is in need for everything, dearly loved and embraced with freedom to enjoy the gift of life he has given us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we lean into you and we ask that this would be true. There's no amount of good preaching or good singing or uh, good worship that ultimately can change our hearts. There are things that lead us towards you and, and put us in your presence that you might speak to us. So we pray that in this unique space, this different space here at church, you would absolutely speak to our hearts and that the spirit would go to work to create in us, to help us see our need, to confess that one to another, to then remind us of the gospel that we might be forgetful of those places that we hold sin and shame, but instead come into the loving embrace of your arms like little children, and that ultimately you'd give us freedom, playfulness in this life to enjoy what you've put in front of us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.